The all-new Hyundai 2024 Santa Fe is equipped with everything you need to break free from the dull work week and embark on an adventurous weekend with your family. The all-new Hyundai Santa Fe's features ensure that you can take on any adventure. What kind of features? Well, how about the available H-Track all-wheel drive so you can take on the dirt trails and kick up some mud? Or the standard third-row seating so your whole family can experience the thrill together? How about available dual wireless charging pads so no one gets stuck in the great outdoors with a dead phone? We're always trying to think about those great spring and summer getaways, but with a car like the Hyundai Santa Fe, anywhere can be your next adventure. To learn more about the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe, go to HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for complete details. Learn more about the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe at HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for complete details. Welcome back to the Cover 3 Podcast with your hosts, Chip Patterson, Tom Fernelli, Danny Cannell, and Bud Elliott. It's your call for the best college football coverage from National Signing Day to the National Championship and everything in between. CBS Sports presents the Cover 3 Podcast. And welcome back to the Cover 3 Podcast here on CBS Sports. That's Tom Fernelli. That's Bud Elliott. Look at sharp as can be right there in Fort Lauderdale uh, as you have been just grinding as part of the CBS Sports HQ and 24-7 Sports all-day coverage of National Signing Day. Thanks to all of you that are joining us live at youtube.com slash cover three. You are getting to see this this, this beautiful beautiful man as, a, as he sits behind the microphone. But this is your day. This is National Signing Day. Um, we've got a lot to get to. So we said three top 10 players that were on the board, five-star players that we're all going to commit. We've got a couple significant commits left. The one big piece of news, which we'll get to in a little bit, is some real history made for Jimbo Fisher in Texas A&M. Some headlines made for Jimbo Fisher in Texas A&M as well. But I, I wanted to start maybe with like the individuals here because coming into the day, uh, there was Shamar Stewart, who, you know, you had Texas A&M that you figured was always going to be there, but there was a little bit of a late charge, and we had the specter of Jackson State and the potential of a big shocker there. You know, Miami was trying to make a late, late push for Stewart. Harold Perkins, the five-star linebacker. You know, LSU in Florida. Also, Texas A&M could have been a part of that. Devin Campbell ends up going for Texas over Oklahoma. Of the three Top 10 players, according to the 24-7 Sports Composite, of those three five-stars, uh, which of those sort of grabs you either from um, the, the news of their commitment or what they could mean to their program? Who's the big headline of those three players? You know, Chip, I, I really, this is a cop-out, but they all really mean a whole lot to those programs in, in different ways. Uh, I'll go with Devin Campbell, uh, or Devon Campbell, excuse me, just because a lot of people think he might be the best offensive lineman in the country. Texas, along the lines of scrimmage in recent years, has not been that great. There was all that stat they didn't have an offensive lineman drafted for like a million years. And now with what they're doing with their offensive line, you're always going to be able to get great skill position guys, in my opinion, to play in Steve Sharkeesian's offense, right? It's it's a great offense. He, he finds ways to get you one-on-one. If you got some moves, you'll get open. And getting protection for Quinn Ewers or for Hudson Card, I think Devon Campbell can play early for those guys. He, physically, he's built the way you want him to be built. Technique's okay. I, I think he'll get on the field fairly early for them in his career. So I'll go with that one. But there are really – a lot of these guys are pretty significant. Okay, so Harold Perkins, 
Obviously, you had the embarrassment of Brian Kelly dancing with with, with the tight end, who then later, maybe because Brian Kelly was grinding up on him. I don't know. Like I, I thought the kid liked the video because he posted it, but that was a little uh, little close dancing there. If you're at a middle school dance, they probably get separated, right? And so he ends up go you know going up I ten there uh, to Tuscaloosa. But the LSU gets Harold Perkins, a real difference maker at the linebacker spot, a former commitment to Texas A and M. And then I'll throw it to Tom because he wrote the story on it. But to me, Shamar Stewart. The significance of, of as, as our Andrew Ivins pointed out, the first time, I believe, ever that the number one player in the state of Florida went to a school west of the Mississippi. Yeah, no, that's I, I that was one of the bigger deals about it, too. And I just think that kind of goes to show, which I'm sure we'll spend a lot of time talking about here, just the strength of this Texas A&M class and what they were able to pull from places. And just like when you go through the 24-7 sports composite, the rankings, the player rankings, and all you see is the Texas A&M logo over and over and over again. And I think it's just, you know, I think Stewart is a big get. I've watched, you know, I'm not as familiar with these guys as you are, obviously, but I was watching his tape because I had to do the post for him to do the, because he was making his announcement at HQ. And that's that's a pretty good player just based on what I was able to see from his highlight tape. So, so I remember being at the, uh, the Nike opening camp with Andrew Ivins uh, down here in Miami two years ago. And at that time, Stewart was our number one player in the 24 seven sports uh, rankings. And I had just started working here like for you know, two weeks prior. Um, and even back then you could tell like this guy has special potential. Now he has to keep working hard, right? He's not a finished product yet. And, and Ivan spoke about that on the 24 seven sports signing day, day special, but Guys, he can pack on another 20 or 30 pounds and mm-hmm. be one of those true you know, three-down jumbo DNs that, that, that can play. You know, He could be a four-tech, a five-tech, six-seven. I think he has that, that real special ability about him. Do you think that there was any chance? So it ended up going back in LSU's face because the video, um, you know, the tight end ends up not going. But you know who did like the Brian Kelly dancing? Yeah. Harold Perkins' mom. Harold Perkins' mom initially really liked the idea of Harold Perkins staying, you know, in in Texas, but they're actually from Louisiana. The family is originally, which is why as he puts the hat on, he says, I'm going home. Also, um, I haven't seen just like a very basic fat a hat fake out in a long time where he just oh, picked yeah. up the Texas A&M hat, then tossed it to the side, said, I'm going home, puts on the LSU hat. So while Brian Kelly might've taken an L with the $8 million, 8 million time viewed video of him dancing, you know, laughing at himself a little bit, the dancing did help land probably one of the most significant high schoolers that he's got coming in in 2022. It did. And look, I maybe Brian Kelly just isn't, publicly funny and like but people who know brian kelly and who have gone to see him you know when he was at notre dame or, or have sat down had conversations with him really think he's pretty personal i, I know our steve wiltfong said he's one of the absolute best head coaches believe it or not when he gets in that living living room on those in-home visits to finish out the process maybe he's just not good telling jokes like maybe the family thing was intended by him to be a joke like the delivery could have just been exceptionally bad and the dancing Dancing seems kind of like, hey, here's your new dad thing. Come be cool, right? I, I guess. I don't know. Uh, but it, it's awesome that Harold Perkins' mom liked it. That He'll be an impact player for them, in my opinion. Brian Kelly dances like I dance when I'm sober. <laughs> you like, dance when you're sober? Yeah, yeah I mean, I absolutely. have. Not very okay. well. Like, But when, you know, when you're a little loosened up, you know, you're not as you're not as self-conscious of it. You, you, you look better. Yeah, I, I, 
I, I would agree with that. Uh, some stats here. Let's let's uh, turn the attention to Texas A&M. We mentioned number one class here in the 2022 cycle, but that's not it. It's the highest rated class of all time. They beat out the 2021 Alabama class. So it's crazy that we just had this record break because for a long time, we were looking at the 2010 Florida class as the gold standard of recruiting. And the fact that that lasted for more than a decade and it has been broken twice is um really an, an interesting and perhaps significant development. Uh, from this Texas A&M 2022 class, thank you to Chris Hummer, who basically we might as well just say is a friend of the program at this point. He's either been mentioned or on this show a good bit. They signed seven of the top 34 composite five stars. That is, they've got 16% of the nation's top 100 recruits. But this is the fact that Jimbo Fisher kept coming back to. They signed a top eight player at every position. And that's what Jimbo Fisher said when he was on CBS Sports HQ. He said, we went uh, at every position group because we had needs at every position group. So they did not only answer it with... Um, they did not only answer it with a body, they did not only answer it with a player, but they did with one of the eight best players in the entire country at this position. This also brings about an interesting new conversation, which is the expectation based on history is that Texas A&M should win a national championship with members of this class on board. But I'll, I'll let you get first crack at it because you know the actual class, but is it fair for us to go ahead and, and set this as the standard that in the next three to four years, we will see Jimbo Fisher hoisting his second national championship? I mean, if you have more than $100 million guaranteed in your contract and they give you a trophy with a blank you know, date plate on it and you go out and you sign the highest rated class of all time, not just of this year, but you go say, hey, Nick, I saw what you did last year. Guess what? New record. Then, yeah, the expectation is going to be that you win a national championship in College Station while this class is on campus. In fact, in the playoff era, Every number one overall class has won a national title while it's been on campus. So that's a pretty good streak to, to uphold. It's actually you know, just as strong as the blue chip streak almost at this point. So if you look at this, there are elements of this class that remind me of things that recent classes have done. Okay, so this defensive line class reminds me a lot of what Clemson had on the field when they were, were still getting to the playoff, when they had no real business doing so, when they had Kelly Bryant playing quarterback for them, right? You had Dexter Lawrence. You had Christian Wilkins. You had what Austin Bryant, Cleveland Farrell. Guys, Walter Nolan is built like a Dexter Lawrence or an Albert Hainsworth. You know, they, they you, these guys are, are, are really, a lot of them are on Andrew Ivan's freaks list. Shamar Stewart can be, like, like we just got done saying, a, a true three-down guy who can stop the run. They, they got a kid out of Arizona, um, who Anthony Lucas, who I, I saw when he was a freshman there in the Alamo Dome, at the All-American Combine, and he and I shook his hand. He grabbed me as a freshman, like, up to my forearm. It, these guys are different on the defensive line. And then on the other side, it, they kind of have a little bit of element of that Alabama receiver class from 2017 to it. That Evan Judy, Stewart, Devonta Smith, and, correct, um, and Henry Ruggs, who, you know, obviously we, we speak of in, in different tones now, but at the time, what made Ruggs special was he was a basketball guy who ended up, oh yeah, he's also fast as hell and he can jump out of the gym. Um, Evan Stewart is like that to me. He is legitimately track fast. Like, oh snap, this is bad every, if you're a defense every time he touches the ball. Pretty good leaper as well. I, I, I think he can really be something. And Marshall is a guy, a good route runner, bigger body guy, 
can still be explosive. They, they have a lot of complimentary pieces in this class. But A&M has already been so damn good in all of these areas, except for one. And we talk about this, I don't know, once a month. What does A&M need to do? They're like, oh, top 10, top 5, top 20, in all these categories. My sheet's nice and green. And then there's that one cell. Oh, they're 114th in passing explosiveness. That is the one thing that holds this team back consistently. Now there's really no excuses. They, they also signed a top 20 player in the whole country, Connor Wegman, at, at quarterback. So mm-hmm. if you want to take that next step, get the ball back a lot for your offense with this incredible defensive line, and then don't try to go on slow, methodical drives every time. Hit home runs. Throw knockout punches with this receiver group and this quarterback. I think they could probably do it. I will say, if this Texas A&M class wins a national title, it won't just be because of this class. It's going to be because of the record-setting class and the other top 10, top five classes that Jimbo's been stacking around it, too. But I will also say, going back to your point about how every number one class in the playoff era has won at least one national title while they were on campus, this is a little different to me because if you think about what what are the teams that have done it? Alabama, Georgia, and was Ohio State one of them? Did they have a number one class one of those years? Uh, Yeah, it was that urban class, I believe. Yeah. Well, Ohio State went through the Big Ten. Georgia went through the SEC East, and Alabama's Alabama. Texas A&M has to get through Alabama in the SEC West first. So I would say that that is a problem. But, I mean, shoot. <laughs> like, no, I mean, it just, it doesn't, that's why I think it's interesting, because <laughs> Texas A&M has arguably like the toughest road to be able to reach the national yeah. championship. And that includes decades upon decades of a lot of investment and even some recruiting success and no national championships. And that's why it's like, okay, this is a new expectation. This is an expectation that, like you said, Bud, was there when Jimbo Fisher was first brought to College Station. But when we add another historical layer to this conversation, you say, okay, all right, like tick, tick, tick. Like this, when's this thing going to be delivered? And That's, they were, what, top five the last two years, or, or, or at I, least top ten for sure. Yeah. Um, Marvin Leal's like, class was the first one that popped for me. When, and I guess he was a junior this year. So three years ago felt like I was like, oh, oh they're starting to bring different. And I'm, I agree with you, but it's the line of scrimmage. It's the way that Jimbo recruits the line of scrimmage. And just, yeah, I, I don't know if you want, we want to stay on the class, but I was reminded today that one thing that Barton Simmons always said on our signing day conversations is that Jimbo Fisher is a terrific closer and he would always use closer and he would always talk about the way that he handled these recruitments. And, you know, Harold Perkins wants a Texas A&M commit uh, even earlier in January, but ends up going to LSU. But you you close it out with Shamar Stewart. Um, we've got we're sitting here recording at 526 I'm going to make a prediction. I wouldn't be surprised if Jacoby Matthews ends up going Texas A&M as well, four-star safety, adding to an already historic class. I could be way off about that, but it's at least potential based on uh, some of the research that I've been able to gather right now. And so it's like Jimbo Fisher is a really, really good recruiter, even going back to Florida State, and his ability to close the deal with these blue-chip prospects is not something that's unique to name, image, and likeness and not something that's unique to what's going on right now. It kind of always has been the book on why we consider Jimbo Fisher a good head coach. But does, is there like another yeah, side really of this sword? Is there another side of this sword in that now Texas A&M has the greatest recruiting class in the history of recruiting? They have to win quick. Like if they go eight and four this year, is Jimbo in trouble? Because I don't think it's realistic to think that this class just shows up on campus right away and all of a sudden you're going to beat Alabama in the SEC West. So I just I wonder what this does as far as the pressure on Jimbo as far as winning and how quickly they want him to win. So I, I think it's an interesting idea. Um, there's a couple ways we can go with this. First, I don't think there's going to be 
Like, I don't, I definitely don't think Jimbo would be in trouble. Will he hear chatter if they don't start to win bigger sooner? Yeah, sure. I, I, I think that's probably fair chatter, right? You, you want to take these studs you sign and, and, and turn them into wins in addition to just sending them off to the NFL, which I'm sure is the player's you know, ultimate goal. Uh, I talked to Cooper Patagna about, about this today a little bit. And one of the questions was, Hey, if they go nine and three again or eight and four, uh, can they sustain this level of recruiting? And that would kind of depend on who you ask, right? If you ask Lane Kiffin, which I know we can get to those comments, I think uh, I think he'll probably say yes, even though he said he was joking. If you ask Jimbo Fisher today, I think Chip might have a drop on this. Uh, he didn't think that NIL really had anything to do with the class. I, I do think, though, that AM is doing a tremendous job with NIL overall, right? And you cannot use it as an inducement to get these players to come to your campus, but you can certainly let those players know what guys on your current team uh, are have you know have lined up and may have coming down the pipe. Uh, I do think they got the jump on a lot of folks with NIL, being super ready and organized. And I do think in the future, more teams will catch up with NIL. And so while it can't be used as an inducement, guys, uh, I think more teams will probably be prepared to disseminate the information of what their players are getting uh, on campus already if you catch my drift. So I do mm-hmm. think if you're going to keep recruiting at this level, uh, in order to do so, you probably need to win a few more games. But this is historic. I mean, they they could drop back to a top five class next year, potentially, and their three-year run is still going to be as good as almost anybody's with exception of like a Georgia Bama. Yeah, the last four recruiting classes from 2019 to this year. Uh, thank you to Coco for dropping this for us. Uh, four, six, eight, and one. Um, when you're talking about the blue chip ratio and stacking together the kind of talent that you need to compete for national championships, that is 100% the way to do it. Do you want to start with uh, Jimbo on CBS Sports HQ um, earlier today before his press conference? I, I think, well, I think what, I should, what should we go first? Should we go Kiffin first? Because it's pretty obvious that Jimbo is, to me, I, I, I took that as him responding to, to Kiffin's comments. Okay, this was... Uh, We'll, just, we'll start with this because this was on CBS Sports HQ. Knowledge of it. What is the biggest misconception out there relative to what actually is going on? No funds or all these things that people were talking about in, in the high school kids for short players and, and your team, they do get those things. We, we were very, we weren't, the, we were one of the lower ones. We, I mean, if I remember right, it was Nick who brought up his quarterback got a million dollar deal. I mean, and that was, that was great. Ohio State put out an article that they had the highest NIL deals of anybody in the country, which is legal. It's all legal. It's fine. But that had nothing to do with this class or anything else in, in which it went on. This is hard work by our staff. And I say it's insulting to the kids who come here that you insinuate that. And people insinuate that off a that things were taken off a message board. Bro Bible by a guy named Sliced Bread, whoever the heck that is, who has no clue about what goes on. But NIL is here to stay in college football. It's going to be a factor in college football. There is no doubt in the future going forward. And so in the transfer portal. So it's here to stay. But those, those reports and the things that people say are very irresponsible. And, and then people need to mind, I mean, figure out the truth before they do it. There's, there's a lot of reputable people in this business who I really respect that, that copied that. There was a vice president of Notre Dame who even said that, who off a message board? Come on now. Come on now. Come See, on now. He, this is what's going to get chopped up this summer. Um, not, not that was very, very good. But then he, he followed that up at the press conference with, cause you're right. He's, he is shooting back at sec coaches that are either on the mic on the record or behind the scenes to other coaches or to recruits. Uh, the, the way that he is treating Texas A&M as though 
they have been victims of bad bad press which ha you just got the best highest ranked class of all time but anyway here's here's jimbo with all the swagger of somebody who just secured the uh, the highest rated class of all time and i'll tell you what i know how some of those guys are true too go dig into that i know the history i know the tradition i know and i know things trust me you don't want to go down that avenue it's ridiculous and it's irresponsible it's unbelievable i ain't just talking about one multiple people got nio issues it's funny when Nick Saban said his quarterback. I mean, did come on now, come on now. I I haven't been this excited about Jimbo quotes since we were talking about lasers on top of the field goal posts. Since we were talking about peanuts in Coca Cola as a West Virginia delicacy. Um, you know, it, it, it's really been a minute since we've gotten him, but he has a to all. He has a lot, a lot of confidence right now, and basically, to me, is telling the rest of the college football to step their game up when it comes to uh, the name, image, and likeness operation. Also, I don't know if Jimbo's gotten an elocution coach lately because usually when he gets fired up, like he's a quick talker. And when he gets fired up, it's yeah, like it the words amazing. really blend together. But he was fired up today, but he was clear and concise. He practiced this. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I'm, fair, I'm fairly sure. I mean, come and, on. And, come yeah, on. I, I think, so look, you're not getting kids just because of NIL. Right, you you actually do have to bust your butt, texting them all the time, figuring out who's the who's the kind of the decider. Is it mom, dad, high school coach, uncle, you know, shady handler, seven on seven coach, you know, whomever, uh, pick one. You have to you have to recruit these guys. You have to f- establish real relationships. You have to be a place they actually want to go, and facilities th- and things like that certainly do matter. To say that it doesn't play any role in putting together the best class of all time, when it's very clear that you know the Texas A&M is doing a tremendous job with NIL for its current players, which of course can't be inducements. Uh, sure. I mean, Lane Kiffin, do we have the Lane Kiffin drop or, or do we basically I, have what he said? No, yeah, I, he, I don't have the drop set up for that. He jokingly I, called for a salary cap. Uh, here we go. Hmm. Uh, we don't have the funding uh, resources at some schools with the NIL deals. It's like dealing with salary caps. And they called for a salary cap on Texas and Texas A&M specifically. And I took Jimbo's comments. Like clearly he, he mentioned Saban and Bryce Young get, getting a million and Saban acknowledging that. I took his comments to be more about Kiffin for, for Kiffin popping off on Twitter because he's like, and some of those guys who do this stuff, they, they hit the transfer portal harder than we do. Because we got to remember, coaches still think of the transfer portal as a little, you know, maybe not a, not a great thing. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I kind of pieced that together because Kiffin had tweeted out uh, the transfer portal king graphic, which involved uh, him Photoshop or somebody Photoshopping Kiffin on top of the Tiger King, which I took it then at a shot at Brian Kelly when they passed, when Ole Miss passed LSU in our transfer portal rankings. I know this is kind of like crazy conspiracy theory, but I, if you follow like the SEC coach tweets and whatnot, um, anyway, Jimbo's basically saying, step your game up and mind your own business because I've been in this league for a long time. And let's go all the way back to four weeks ago when he said, there's been a lot of NIL going on before we knew what, what to call it, you know, before it was called NIL. <laughs> I mean, also, Elijah, can, can I just shout out Elijah Robinson real quick? Because Steve Wilf, this is Elijah Robinson is the defensive line coach for Texas A&M. I believe he holds may, a couple other titles. I believe assistant head coach is one of them. Um, Robinson is a former Penn State player who, who like Steve Wilfong had the line that he can um, smoke cigars and drink whiskey with one player's dad while at the same time, uh, you know, being able to talk cryptocurrency with another player's dad. Like truly, you know, you talk about the relationships and like 
when you are building these relationships and securing these kinds of classes, like you need to have those personalities. And I just wanted to say that as we're talking about Jimbo Fisher and this Texas A&M recruiting effort, James Coley must have done a terrific job here. Elijah Robinson must have done a terrific job here. Jimbo has built a staff of recruiters. So for that effort that you talk about, Bud, where it's like we have to get up and talk, we have to know the handlers, we've got to have good relationships with the parents. Again, it was just a an awesome anecdote from Wilt Fong uh, on uh, CBS Sports HQ during the day, but clearly uh, Robinson has really helped build up the uh, build up this group, especially on the lines of scrimmage. Uh, Coco pulling up the uh, the Portal King. Ah, man, just it's it's beauty is in its simplicity. <laughs> Again, he's doing twenty one years in prison. Just just want to point that out once more. Um, okay, <laughs> so really, I never watched the doc. Um, just got yeah, just got uh, sentenced to 21 years in prison for a murder for hire plot from the trying to have somebody kill the other person in the Tiger King. So you know it's all wonderful, good stuff, good people. You should really definitely pay more attention to them because they are the best of the best and the brightest of the brightest. Do you think? Uh, right, we spend a lot of time talking about Texas A&M of the other classes that are near the top of the college football. Uh, team rankings. Uh, what stood out? We've got Alabama at number two, Georgia at three, Ohio State at four, Texas. You mentioned the Longhorns earlier at number five. Um, who up there at the uh, the top of the top ten really stands out? Guys, I I know they've been due for a long time, but finally Georgia got some impact defensive linemen to help them out. You know, that that like I, they've had such a hard time getting those guys in, uh, but finally they managed to get it. So. Uh, Michael Williams is a kid out of Georgia and out of the Columbus area, which has produced quite a few good defensive linemen over the years. And this is not a year where we had a clear-cut number one overall player. Like, sometimes it's pretty obvious, right? It's like, oh, it's Trevor. And then for a couple months that summer, it's like, oh, maybe it's Justin. Justin. You know, Fields and, mm-hmm. and Lawrence, obviously. But in other years, really, there's probably, I don't know, three to seven guys who you could reasonably make the case are number one. And Michael Williams is legitimately in that conversation. I mean, he's 6'5", 265. He could easily be 290 quickly. Yeah. That, that's going to be an impact guy. They, they get Bear Alexander, who I think could be that 340-pound nose for them. Um, they they got a lot of impact guys. They also reload uh, in the secondary with three impact corners, right? You, you get Dalen Everett, you get Jaheim Singletary, and you also get, um, oh, the, the dude they flipped from Florida late. Uh Oh, now I'm forgetting his name. Oh, Julian Humphrey, excuse me. That's impact. And they also get Marvin Jones Jr., who if 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 Michael Williams is not your cup of tea, oh, go get the son of Marvin Jones, who is one of the only defensive players ever to finish that high in the Heisman voting and you know, one of the best linebackers in the history of the sport of college football. Big-time impact, five-star defensive lineman out of American Heritage. Georgia's reloading on, on the defensive side of the ball in, in a pretty special way. Yeah, Michael Williams is my favorite player in this class. Yeah. Just that was a fun highlight, team. wasn't it? Mm-hmm. No, that was just yeah. that was a kid just destroying everything and putting his way. And it was really, really fun to watch. <laughs> Out of Columbus, Georgia. Um, Hardaway. That's not one of the powers, is it? Not really, no. Okay. The, the film is like, we've unleashed Tom Fernelli on this group of, of eight, eight U-ball. Let's see. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Oh, he just blows dudes up. It's hilarious to watch. Yeah, it's it's fun. Um, guys, Alabama signed a class that in many other years would have been the number one overall class. Yeah. 
Oh, based on their rating. Like we're, we're sitting here with Alabama basically has not dropped from their standard, but they are number three because, uh, or they're number two because of the way the math works. They also have the highest average star rating or Mm -hmm. average recruit rating at 0.952, which is almost like everybody is like a borderline top 100 player on average. So that's scary. Nice. Um, what did you, so Alabama also is now the, like this today brought back a lot of the, Oh, they don't, they don't, they need to bring in talented running backs, but they're going to have Jameer Gibbs. So, oh, they need to bring in talented wide receivers, and they had a really good wide receiver class, but they're getting Jermaine Burton. Like, I, I kind of feel like National National Signing Day is less of a fan event because of the transfer portal. Now, I'm glad fans are still interested in it. Thank you, YouTube. I'm glad fans are still clicking. I'm glad they're still watching. I'm glad they followed the live blog and read the stories that Tom and I wrote throughout the day. But I do think that the drama of taking the day off of work because today will forever change the future of your program. Like even Alabama fans aren't sweating when there's an Alabama hat on the table and the guy picks somewhere else. Why? Because they just went and got a Bolitnikoff Award finalist from Ohio State. And they're about to bring in uh, one of the top running backs and one of the top wide receivers in Jameer Gibbs and Jermaine Burton. It's like the, even though they finished number three, the sweat's not even there because the tide are going to be able to go and fix all issues in the transfer portal. Like they have a good wide receiver class, as I mentioned here in 2022, but they are, they, they are operating at a very different level uh, right now when it comes to talent acquisition. They are. Um, so we put together our superlatives at 24 seven sports and not even including the transfer portal. Bama had the number one group of running backs at the, at the running back position. And then they add Jameer Gibbs. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> That's disgusting. Like they, they could Marshall Falk this thing next year with, with, with Jameer Gibbs and and Bryce is so good at getting the ball out of his hands. Like, don't you think whoever the OC there is next year is going to find a find ways to get Jameer Gibbs soloed up on whatever poor linebacker they have to play? And that's going to be pretty embarrassing. Have you ever seen Jameer Gibbs catch the ball and, and you know run routes and whatnot? It's 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 pretty special. Uh, a couple other kids in this class, and Chip, to your point, I, I do agree with like, their ability to go out in the transfer portal, but they're still extremely selective. Like Bama still cares about its culture. They're not out here taking 10 or 12 guys in the portal like some teams are. Um, there's a kid I want to highlight na- na- named Jaheim Otis. Now, I don't know exactly what he weighs. I think he's listed at 370. If I had to bet my house on it, I think his number probably starts with a four which sounds like a bad thing. And if you had to play a game tomorrow, it would be. But Jaheim Otis is a freak athlete, man. I mean, we had him down there at the Future 50, which is in like June, down in, at, at IMG Academy out in Bradenton. And it's hot. We're, we're, we're all sweating. And I'm like, man, this, this big guy's got to be struggling. He goes out there, and he is dominating dudes in one-on-ones. And he, look, he clearly probably needs to lose 40 or maybe even 50 pounds if he wants to be a guy that can play you know, more 40 snaps a game and not 15. But Bama has a pretty good history with these guys. There was a dude named Terrence Cody who showed up at like 450 mm-hmm. and then played at like 370. I talked to him like, you know, just you're going to take a lot of visits. No, if I got some free time, I'll probably just fish. You know, he's, he's just a laid back country dude who likes to dominate folks. And I, I love watching this kid. Because like that's not a padded setting. You don't get to wear pads at Future 50. And guys who look like they're probably close to 400 pounds should not do well in a non-contact, non-padded setting. And he's like, oh, guess what? 
boop, 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 and I'll just go around and, and, and beat you with a speed rush or, or just take the half man. Um, Walter Nolan, the kid I, I said was built like, like, uh, you know, uh, Albert Hainsworth, by the way, mm-hmm. at that same event for AM, uh, he lined up in a wide defensive end tech and beat LSU offensive tackle, very highly rated kid, Will Campbell, with speed rushes and a spin move at like 350 pounds. So there are some real special, large defensive linemen in this class. And I know he may not be an instant impact guy. It's just a name to tuck away for when, Tom, when you're putting together the top guys for the draft thing. Mm-hmm. He's got some special ability if, if the weight stays in check or gets in check and stays in check. Speaking of guys that I'm keeping my eye on like that, um, another member of Alabama's class on the other side of the trench, Elijah Pritchett. Like, I know Alabama doesn't really need guys to come in right away and play on the offensive line, but just from what I saw of him, I don't know how much you've seen. Like, he strikes me as somebody who could be playing right tackle as a freshman. Yeah, so I've seen Elijah Pritchett in person a couple times, actually, and I've seen him you know, with pads on and, and without, and he's broad, and he's got some, got some good length to him. Like, he's not six... You know what? What do we have listed at? Probably six, four and a half, maybe six, six five, six. We have him at six, six. Damn, yeah, on his profile, but I don't think he's. I don't know if that's what he's actually. No, I, well, I mean that he, he was he was at the Army game, so we 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 must have had had the right measurement on him. Um, to me, like visually, when I saw him, I'm, I'm more thought of a guy that was broader and like longer limbed. But mm-hmm. I, I guess he, shoot, maybe he is six, six. I think he, he has the ability to put well. on weight. Yeah, right. Like, and he's two, probably two eighty five. 290, mm-hmm. I would guess, if I had to eyeball the kid. And it's not a sloppy 285, 290, right? It, it's it's fairly well put together. He can put on some more good weight. He does move really well. And he was a dude who's a late bloomer. Um, Bama was not sure they were going to take him in, until the summer, actually. Uh, Alex Adams, Florida State's offensive line coach, did just as good a job, I think, recruiting him as basically anybody. And then the kid's from Alabama, and all of a sudden, mama calls, and it's like, hey, we, we want you. All right, recruitment over. Uh, I'm going to Alabama, which is essentially how it went down. And I know FSU staff was was pretty crushed about that. He is special, Tom. I, I, I agree. Tyler Booker is another kid out of New Jersey who played down at IMG. Uh, they're definitely reloading along the lines of scrimmage extremely well. And they got a bunch of smart players in the back end, uh, too. I, I think Earl Little, you know, maybe not the most freakish athlete in the world. If you guys remember his dad, Earl Little, uh, who played for Miami yes. uh, back when Randy Shannon was like a GA there uh, and then in the league for a little while, I believe – for the Browns, I'm trying to remember here, uh, but they, 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 I really like what Alabama's done with their class. That's not really a, a stretch to say, to say that. Um, <laughs> like the the yeah. 92.5 per uh, per player rating, right? Yeah. yeah, right. I mean, I'm scrolling down and scrolling down, and I just hit, I scrolled down like three times on my laptop, and I got the trick on Vegans. Who's rated number one sixteen in the entire country? A six foot one corner they have. Who I actually saw his little brother uh, this weekend. Who's a twenty twenty five kid who is is pretty freaky as well. At the seven on we had down here in Orlando. This is a fun class. Ninety five point two average, by the way, not ninety two point five. It's even better than that. These are on zero to one hundred scales, and the average player coming into Alabama with the class that again would be number one other years. It's ninety five points. I'm just I'm just gonna call it at some point in the next three years, Alabama's gonna make the college football playoff. Just saying it right now. Alabama or Texas AM, you have to choose one team that will win a national championship in the next three years. Who are you taking? Alabama, Alabama this year. <laughs> yeah. Texas AM or LSU in the next three years, you have to pick one team to win a national championship. Who are you taking? Aggies. He's in the barn of this class. Yeah, it's gonna depend on the quarterbacks. 
Whichever one has the better quarterback. (laughs) Chip's doing it. Yeah, give me give go Tigers. Give me Brian Kelly and LSU. I mean, we'll see. They they both have to get through Bama to be able to get there. So we'll we will see. Uh, coming up on the other side, we will expand our view uh, with a focus on some coaches that had some some heavy lifting to do to be able to uh, put this class together again with so many prospects that signed at the early signing period. It is a lot of these first year hires that are really working uh, to be able to help themselves out. So uh, what do we think from Florida, Miami? Oregon, uh, USC, LSU, all that and more next. The perfect combination of versatile athleisure and training apparel has arrived. Thanks to the visionary minds of New Balance, Clutch Athletics, and Rich Paul, the designs reflect the heart of the athlete and the spirit of the community. With rising defensive football stars Will Anderson and Chase Young on the roster, Clutch Athletics brings the best innovative gear to all athletes, giving them style and performance on and off the field. Learn more and purchase Clutch Athletics at NewBalance.com. This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates – Price and coverage match limited by state law. So um, take me inside what you think about Florida's class, because one thing that was uh, continued to pop up a lot was that Billy Napier and this staff have done um, work that across a lot of different levels has been given good grades. Uh, the, the hires he has been made, many have said that this is a, a really, really strong class. The way that he has built up the infrastructure, both the support staff that he's hired, the investment that he's gotten, player housing, you know, meals, like he is built working on the guts and the piping of the Florida football program in a way that has been very impressive. Florida made its way up the recruiting rankings throughout the day with some significant uh, signees that they were able to pull into their 2022 class. They also ended up as finalists for a few players that did not end up choosing the Gators, but did end up making a visit to Gainesville. And whether it's Caden Story or Harold Perkins, they were coming back with positive things to say about Billy Napier and positive things to say about the direction of the Gators program. But you didn't get those players what it, the, with the class that they actually have right here, uh, what do you make of Florida football and uh, and what it says about you know where things are going with Napier and Gainesville? Sure. So I I know Andrew Ibens and we at twenty four seven Sports had Florida as a signing day loser, but I think it, that's only if you're looking through the lens of just February second, right? Today's February second. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So overall, I think Billy Napier and his staff have done a, a fine job of doing what you can in the very limited amount of time that you have in this early signing period era uh, of recruiting from the time you're hired to the early signing period and now today to the traditional signing period. Um, to me, the, the hallmark of their class is the defensive athleticism, particularly in the back in the back seven. So you have Kamari Wilson. He's a really good player, you know, guy who, I, mean, I think some services may have as a five-star, pretty much a no-doubt top 50 kid, a real hard hitter. We'll have to see you know, how well how well he covers, right? You have Devin Moore. He's a guy who I like a lot out of Naples, out of Bill Kramer's program, done a really nice job down there. 
in that state for a long time. Shamar James, a very athletic kid at the linebacker spot. I, I think they, that is, is really kind of one of the hallmarks of this class. They've also done a pretty good job in the transfer portal. They went ahead and, and gave a green light uh, to Jack Pyburn, a, a kind of a late bloomer defensive lineman uh, out, out of the Jacksonville area. So they're, they're doing a fine job here, right? Ultimately, Chip, what you said is going to decide it in future years. Do you know who else was a hat on the table but didn't close these guys out? Dan Mullen. And he got fired. Mm. Billy Napier will be judged ultimately on the success that he has on the field in probably 23, 24, 25. And to have that success, he needs to do a great job in the 2023 and 2024 recruiting classes. Those are the first two full classes that he'll sign. But still, like, I don't, you almost need to separate these new guys into two categories of fame, right? So certain guys could well, like go... Lincoln Riley and Billy Napier is not fair. Brian Kelly and Billy correct. Napier is not fair. Mm-hmm. We're talking about different yeah. levels of experience, different levels of success. If if Billy Na- like if Billy Napier did the same thing that Lincoln Riley did and tried to pull a bunch of guys from Louisiana's recruiting class, uh, Florida fans would rightfully be pretty angry because guys who win the Sun Belt are not the same guys that are going to be able to win the SEC East when we're talking about having to fight against uh, Georgia that we just went over. Uh, but I think for a guy who does not have a defined reputation with nationally elite recruits right now, but has been in those battles previously at his SEC stops as an assistant and has done a nice job as a head coach at Louisiana, I do think he will do pretty well in 23 and 24. They're certainly staffing up quite a bit and have a lot to sell there as far as program history and tradition and you know making these relationships it's going to be very important for them. What other first-year uh, coach classes stood out to you? So here again, I'll, I almost want to split this into two categories, right? So it's it's the two guys who went extremely portal-heavy, uh, one being LSU and Brian Kelly, uh, and the other being Lincoln Riley. Even though I just got done saying that, hey, like Riley took some guys uh, from Oklahoma's class, he actually did a better job of taking existing players off Oklahoma's roster uh, than he did taking guys from their recruiting class. So both USC and LSU, to varying degrees, USC I think only has, what, seven uh, signees at this point from the high school ranks, but they have double-digit uh, signees out of the portal. LSU has a couple more high school signees this year, but they, again, have double-digit guys from the portal. What, I think that's actually going to serve them pretty well. What they'll need to do is follow up and go really high school heavy next year, taking advantage of that sort of new coach smell and hype that you get. I'm definitely not in favor of going crazy in the high school side uh, in your your first year because you don't really have these relationships established for the most part. And oftentimes the guys you can get to say yes to you can be fool's gold, as we've seen in recent years. Like, oh, man, look at this kid and that kid. And it's like, okay, they're washing out after a year or two. And it turns out they might have been available for a reason. USC, if you factor in their transfer portal class, their their class is really nice. You have Caleb Williams, right, who is probably worth like at least a win – uh, per year on the field. Shane Lee, who is you know, in coverage, probably a bit of a liability, but against the run, somebody who could be a useful piece for USC. Again, think about some of these offenses USC faces. Utah w- w- wants to physically bully you. Arizona State, again, not exactly a great passing team. We'll see what Arizona looks like. We'll see what Colorado looks like. But there are some teams in that league, in the Pac-12, who run a very pro-style a- approach, and having a backer who's in that 240 range wants to come downhill if they're, if they're running ISO, he can meet that fullback in the hole. That could be useful. Ormello Height is a guy I know Auburn thought had some pass rush ability. Travis Dye had a great year for USC last year uh, when when stepping in 
and being healthy. Um, and then they go ahead and get some receivers who I think are, are pretty pretty impact guys. So, uh, again, really nice job in the transfer portal for both USC and for LSU. Uh, and then if you flip it to the other side with these new coaches, you had a couple staffs that did go more high school heavy and are, are leaning on their valuations a little more. Or, in the alternative, were able to keep a large number of the kids committed in that class in the class. So I would put Florida in that context, right? They, they kept a lot of the guys who were committed to uh, to Mullins, in, including Nick Evers, the quarterback, uh, for, for a little while. Uh, and then Notre Dame did a pretty good job, right? Like Marcus Freeman, a lot of the recruits mm-hmm. really liked him quite a bit. Uh, Oregon, again, keeping most of the guys who were committed there. They had a couple dudes decommit, a couple guys who were uh, you know maybe leaning there that didn't end up in that class. But they're, they're still seeming like they're kind of trying to save spots, but they didn't go crazy in the transfer portal yet. And then Brett Venable's staff actually kept most of the Oklahoma guys uh, together. So, you know, to me, that's that's kind of the rundown on that. Um, it was such a wild year with all these new coaches, you know? I'm so... By the way, I want to make sure I... I I'm, they kept Nick Evers for a little bit, and the Nevers did decommit. But, like, they didn't just immediately run the kid off. Dan Lanning uh, flipped a Georgia running back. He did on air. On mm-hmm. air, I got to talk to the kid, and his mic was all jacked up on on their end. So I didn't. Get, I was, dude. I, I was hosting for for the for that hour. That twelve and, o'clock uh, hour. We had a little technical difficulties at times, and I was like, "Please put a hat on, so I can tell who you picked." And then I'll and then I'm going to ask you questions, and I'm just going to nod along with your answers and hope that none of your answers necessitate like a specific follow up. <laughs> and I'll just ask you another one, and uh, I was like, "Hey man, you want to thank anybody else?" Like. All right, really appreciate you committing here live on CBS Sports HQ with our 24-7 Sports National Sunday special brought to you by the Cover 3 Hour. The wonders uh, of live television. Yeah, that's, and by the way, that's a four-star running back, Jordan James, out of Murfreesboro, Tennessee. Uh, see me, what, was he an actual Georgia commit, or was he trending towards he, Georgia? He was a Georgia commit. Uh, we expected him to go to Oregon with uh, with Officer Coordinator Ken, Kenny Gillingham. Um because they need some backs. Obviously, they had some attrition at that, at that spot. And we expected that Georgia was likely uh, to take running back Andrew Paul out of Texas. Andrew Paul is this kid who competition is, is not a little suspect. It's a lot suspect. But he also ran for 2,600 yards this year after running for like a combined 800 in the previous two. So dude kind of kind of found his legs and really, you know, really started busting out. Uh, so we thought Georgia would maybe take him. Clemson was in the mix there as well. So Oregon was the beneficiary. Again, these are all these classes, varying degrees of success in the opening, you know, kind of the opening salvo. Nobody really just threw a ton of scholarships at high school kids, which I really think is the is the right strategy. Don't go nuts in the high school ranks the year you get hired. Save your gunpowder. Take a look at your board. Go crazy the next year. You know, go, go sign 26 high schoolers next year. Sell that playing time that you have created because you didn't go nuts on the high schoolers then. Um, let's uh, let's let's go open floor here. I'll, I'll start with a, a question from uh, the chat here on YouTube.com/slash Cover Three. What do you make of Clemson's class after all the staff changes? This is a Tigers group that had a couple of decommitments at the early signing period. Something that was a little bit unusual from what we're used to seeing. We also saw a couple of blue chip players, including ones on CBS Sports HQ who did uh, end up committing to Clemson uh, today. So with it with it all said and done, what do you think of Dabo Sweeney's staff? Oh, Dabo Sweeney's class. You know, it, it's an interesting class. Um, 
it's not a bad class. It is not quite up to the standards of Clemson's recent years. Uh, this doesn't mean that Clemson is doomed. It doesn't mean that Clemson will no longer be one of the nation's elites. They just can't stack you know, classes like this back-to-back. They signed, what, 20 guys, and they have 10, four, or five stars, including our number one rated quarterback in the 24-7 sports composite, Kay Clubin. That guy might take DJ's job. He was extremely James, productive in high school. And Hunter Johnson is coming back. Well, uh, there are some people who think that Hunter Johnson may have wanted to be a GA over there and then was like, oh, actually, we have a scholarship spot if you want to come and kind of learn that way. That's so you my. Think, I, so you think I don't Cade, think Hunter Johnson can play. Okay, so Cade, but Cade Klubnick could push DJ Uyunglele for playing time as a freshman. Correct. I think that's entirely possible, especially if DJ doesn't get back to the level that he was as a true freshman. And look, they, they did address some needs in this class, but they also had some, some misses at some other spots. I think they did a really nice job at corner, and I think they did a pretty good job at receiver. But they also lost on some guys down the stretch. Like I, I like Jaden Lucas at corner, and I think Toriano Pride is a, a pretty good player for them. Right? And we're, we're, what a standard Clemson has set that we're not complaining, but sort of lamenting the fact they only have, what, five or six top 100 players in the country. Mm-hmm. But in recent years, they've really been in it for for more five stars, you know, and more of those like top 50 type kids. And this year, I think probably due to some of the, the, the staff turnover, uh, they've not. And then you have Dabo uh, lamenting NIL uh, on in his press conference again, again today. And like personally, if I was Dabo, I would embrace NIL. Right, there's not a whole lot going on in Clemson, South Carolina. Those guys have tremendous name, image, and likeness value in that town. It's not like you're competing with an NFL team right there, or an NHL team, or anybody else, right? So, I would embrace it a little more. I think I know a lot of these coaches are worried about culture. I think they are. You know, well, like not not like that. I'm not trying to say anything wrong, but very early in the game, I remember back in July and August, you know, Dabo's like. Listen, we already been doing stuff like this. We call it our PAW journey. And the PAW journey stands for, because everything in Dabo's world is a four to five letter word that stands for some phrase to be able to motivate young men. Um, But the PAW journey was about preparing you for life skills. And what they essentially decided to do as a program was build in NIL to the PAW journey. So when Caden Story is out here and saying, I really enjoyed everything at Clemson and what they're doing with the PAW journey, I said, oh, that's interesting. It's not often that everyone has been committing to Clemson as a blue chip prospect and talking about your home economics program that you have already been running for as long as Dabo Sweeney says the Paul journey has been around. It sure sounds like the Paul journey, much like, uh, did y'all see the Michigan State Exchange that's opened up? It's basically Mm -hmm. like a dating website for Michigan State athletes and local businesses that want to hook up with NIL. So they are creating like an open exchange, an open market to be able to connect these players. It sounds as though they've utilized their I say community outreach wing of their football program mm-hmm. to already activate these opportunities for Clemson. So while Dabo might be frustrated at what NIL has meant for competing with other top programs, I don't think that this is a program that's totally ignore like totally ignoring the opportunities that are there. Does Paul stand saying that for new opportunities afterwards? What? Just I'm sorry. Does pause stand for prepare for afterwards? I, I don't know. God, I hope not, because if they do an acronym with two letters from one word, I'm going to be angry. (laughs) I just think there are new opportunities springing up uh, all the time. 
<laughs> um, I want to open open table. That's a, that's, that's a deep cut deep ACC cut. joke. <laughs> um, what's uh, anywhere you want to go? What other classes stood out before we get out of here? Uh, Is there? I was sorry, just going to say because like Jim Harbaugh interviewed for an NFL job on National Signing Day. Michigan already had I, like they had the, almost their entire class signed up in December, so it didn't have an impact. But is there any kind of potential fallout from that? Because I can't imagine he's taking that interview unless he knows. I, I think there is some potential fallout, right? So the a couple things here. Typically, it used to be schools would not allow kids to have a release from from their letter of intent, and then the kids kind of got some voice to them, and and you got some some powerful blue checks retweeting and be like, hey. This is a bad look. The coach told these kids he's going to be here, and then he dips out. So if Harbaugh does take the Michigan job, um, I would expect that if those players want to get out of their, le- their letters of intent, that they will be uh, al- allowed out. I think Notre Dame would have done that if their search had gone on for a long time. You know, But they, they, they promoted Marcus Freeman from within. I just think that's the right thing to do, like not hold somebody, to a high school kid, to a letter that he signed four weeks ago when the coach was there. It's a little bit more complicated, though, if the player has already begun taking classes, there are some situations where guys have been able to get out of that, but it's sort of a more like NCAA uh, gray area. I do think, though, that it's still like not the right use of the transfer portal. Like people are like, oh, just use your tra- use your one your one time transfer exemption. To me, that's like I've been in the place for a while. It's not working out. I need a fresh start. Not I've been in the place for six weeks. I've been enrolled in classes for two weeks, and my head coach just went to go coach the Vikings. Like. That doesn't seem like the correct and appropriate uh, remedy, but it doesn't seem to have hurt their class a whole lot so far, guys. They're, they're, they have a very nice class. If Harbaugh does leave, whoever gets this job is going to inherit a pretty nice roster. And I know we talked about this on the show today. They, If they can find a way to weaponize NIL at Michigan in the same non-inducement way that some schools in the SEC may be non-inducing players to do, like if Michigan can find ways to non-induce folks like that, uh, they would really, really kill it. And that becomes a, an even better job than it already is. I certainly ask only because there are two players in that class who are very also he- heavily recruited by Illinois. So, you oh, know, it's I'm just trying to... Illinois class, Tom. Illinois class is wonderful. Uh, there's some good players in it. You know, not not a ton of headliners, but I think it's a good foundational class, especially on the offensive line. It's shocking of all, shock of all shocks. Brett Bielema did a good job getting in a lot of offensive linemen going forward. But looking at the class, I don't know if there's a ton of instant impact. I would say the most likely instant impact would come from the receivers because Illinois is kind of thin at receiver going into next season. But one kid in particular, Ian Pugh, local kid. He played at Fenwick, state champs in their class here. Also the alma mater of CBS Sports HQ anchor Joe Musso. Uh, he's 6'4", 170. He's got to put on some weight, obviously. But I think that Illinois is just kind of lacking like a big, tall, long receiver in their offense right now. So he might have a path to the field quick. I like that. We, we need to have Alan True on to discuss. Just, we'll, we'll do an hour on Illinois' class. And then EK will yell at us for for using a whole hour to, to do like 700 views. But, uh, but Alan the, True will put together a great show because he knows everything. He does. He 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 is our Midwest ace. Like he he knows mm-hmm. everything about all, all these kids. I'm like, hey, Alan, I found this kid. He's in a town of 400. Like, do you think he maybe checks one of the boxes for an overlook? He's like, oh yeah, I already saw this kid three times. Like, <laughs> wow, that's he, he's he's awesome. Like we we, I, I know I've said it before, um, but like we really do have a great team 24 seven making these. The rankings aren't perfect, but we have been the most accurate for like half a decade now at least, and the gap is growing. So 
uh, I'm I'm very encouraged by by what we're doing over here. A couple classes, if, if we can just kind of go a little rapid fire and shout them out and discuss what we like about them. Uh, two in the SEC, and I know Coca had a great stat about the SEC. Do we have a graphic? Or, uh, uh, we've got the most important graphic in the whole SEC locked and loaded. The let's team, see it. yes, that's right. We are looking at the new additions to the Vanderbilt Commodores. Shout out to Barton Simmons, general manager of that team. Uh, they have a class that is ranked number 31 in the country. So that means that all 14 SEC teams are ranked inside of the top 31. Literally, half the conference is mm-hmm. in the top 30. 31. That has to be one of their highest-rated classes, if not their highest-rated class ever. What uh, Coca in our pre-show meeting, he said 23 was a 2013. I think that's, so that would have been a James Franklin class, right? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Was Franklin still at Vandy in 13? Mm, I think so. It might have been like his last class. Because he's been at Penn State for, what, seven years now, I think. Okay. Vanderbilt, he was there through the end of the 13 season. Yeah. Okay. So yeah. Yeah. State. yeah mm-hmm. So the, the the 13 class would be the class you signed right before the 13 season. Mm-hmm. So yeah, that, oh, that would have been his last class there. That class that's, had some hits. So Barton's first full class here does have some expectations to live up to. That class, you know, had had the Cunningham guys. You had Jay Woods. That that yeah. Twenty twenty six. Nice yeah. I just it, it's not, it's not literally, and it's twenty six, not twenty third. But we just we've I I'm going to enhance, and I'm not going to care about facts when it comes to boosting Vanderbilt football on the Cover 3 podcast. I'm going to do it recklessly, and I'm going to do it aggressively in favor of all things anchored down. Okay, let's ro- roll through what's today. Kentucky had a pretty good class. Missouri had a pretty good class. Those, those also help this, uh, this SEC stat here. It, it, they, they really have. Um, you know, obviously, Missouri, I, I think, was probably annoyed to lose their you know, all-freshman SEC defensive tackle to the transfer portal to LSU. Uh, but yeah, Tom's yeah, we, yeah, I think we all heard mm-hmm. similar there, uh, but, but they, they really have done a nice job un, under Drinkwitz and Kentucky Mark Stoops can, can recruit well enough there. They, they build relationships. They are very good with like their precision targeting that they get a, they pick a couple battles of kids that they're probably going to have to fight like a Bama Georgia for that They feel like they actually have a shot because of a relationship or geography or, or whatever it is. And then down the list, they they get a bunch of guys who it's like, all right, who do we have to beat out for this? Maybe Arkansas, South Carolina, that that type of thing. Uh, and they they do so pretty well. Those are are I think two of the highest classes that those schools have have ever signed. And it's probably a little depressing if you're a Kentucky or Missouri fan that you sign those classes and, and you're you know fifth and and sixth in the SEC, but still a really nice job by those staffs. Uh, I also I want to shout out ahead of Tennessee. If you're Kentucky, I think finishing ahead of Tennessee is the win. You're almost like yes. regional with it, right? You know, like yes. we're, we're, we're beating our neighbors at this game called recruiting that's happening off the trail. And that's where Stoops has got to be fired up. You know, I, I got asked this week, I, I think on Ralph Russo's associated press podcast, like, do you think Tennessee is, is getting closer? And like, look, I actually like some of the three stars in their class and I think they have upside, but you still sign and three stars aren't bad players. But by the standards of the top of the SEC, they are, right? Just being blunt here. Your blue chip ratio is 33%. You're you're trying to put yourself on a footing that is Georgia or Bama or, or A&M level now. 
where it's like 80%. So I like Tyree West. I think the defensive end they got actually has, has a whole bunch of upside. It's not a bad class. It's just it is closer to like South Carolina, Missouri, Kentucky, the Mississippi schools than it is to like a Bama, Georgia, A&M. And that's kind of where they, they want to be as a program. And they're not really – I do judge what you do in that first full class. And so, just like, okay. How how many four-stars are there every year? Because I think I counted like 370-some. And I know that the five-star is supposed to be around 32 because yep. we are projecting first round of the NFL draft kind of ceiling. So what – where, what's the line between? Because I was watching your segment on the blue chip ratio, and it you know had me thinking about it, and I pulled it up, and I, I was like, okay, so you know, if there's three hundred and some odd, you know, how how many four and five stars could any power five program be expecting to get? That was the question, but I I, I did think that that's a lot of four stars, right? There are quite a few four stars. Um, typically, we have roughly four hundred combined five stars and and four stars. But that number can vary. Like sometimes we'll have like 380, sometimes we'll have like 370, sometimes we'll have like 410. We do keep the five stars static, but sometimes the composite draws in ratings and it's like, okay, this is a stronger year, a, a deeper year. And so it does account for that. So the number of four stars is not always static year to year. But the five stars, that one is because we use 32 NFL draft picks for it. Mm. Check out. Oh, anything else before we get out of here? Stanford. Okay. We have talked about how the early signing period has really hurt Stanford. Uh, but this year, I think they made a, a concerted effort to find ways to get kids on campus earlier, to communicate to them earlier that they would likely be accepted. And they're back in the top 20 after several years of just kind of wandering in, in the recruiting desert. So Number one definitely, in the Pac-12, right? Yeah, number one yeah. in the Pac-12. Uh, Indiana, despite a very poor year on the field, Tom Allen's staff, I think, capitalized on the momentum they established in on the field in 2020 into signing this good class because they started building some of these relationships back then. That's pretty encouraging. Like that's much better class than they typically sign. And then I'll give a shout out to Arizona, Arizona, both in the transfer portal and on the high school field has done a really nice job. It, it, guys, like I don't want to give away our sleeper picks too early, but it wouldn't shock me if they finished like tied for third in the South. And that's not a slight, but I mean, they play hard. They're pretty they hard. Hey, listen, Jed Fish has them playing hard. I, I just know what I seen with my eyes. Arizona out here. And by the way, we're recording this at 614. Um, I, I just, uh, Dave Iuli is going to stick with Oregon. Right, bud? You want to make a prediction here? Uh, let's you've see been, what our Slack chat is. That's probably significant. Cheating. You've been with significant minds around that program all day. Do you have I know, but it's like an it's like you sign an NDA when you walk in here, right? If you're going to sit at the same table as Steve Wolfong, like you really, <laughs> there's certain things you you can't you can't say because you're you're overhearing stuff. Um, it's obvious that uh, Wiltfong has an embargo on some of these crystal ball predictions because all sure. of a sudden Wiltfong's crystal ball disappears on like. January 31st or, or February 1st. And then when it comes back in, you take note because that's the one that is not going to be wrong whatsoever. Miami was actually leading for Dave Iuli, which would have been significant because Mario would have taken a relationship that he established when he was at Oregon, been able to convince the number three player in the state of Washington to come cross country to the Hurricanes. But when I catch Wilt Fong and the rest of the insiders drop in here with crystal ball projections on February 1st, I'm like, oh, okay, he's probably going to Oregon. See, Mario should have used... Shaq on Dave Iuli 
and not instead of Shamar not, Stewart. <laughs> correct. Yeah, like you should have figured out. Okay, we're not going to get Shamar Stewart. Use Shaq and Dave Auli. They're both big guys. I mean, that would be that'd be pretty impressive. Um, if Auli does end up going to Oregon, I believe Dan Lanning finishes with a top twenty-five class. What if he gives yeah, Auli I mean, like a coordinator title? Wait, what if? Uh, well, I mean, they did. Is the Kevin Steele hire official? I don't. Yeah, that's the thing. The way Ke- I, I'm not announcing it until we see his signature on the paper. <laughs> well, yeah, because uh, they said that uh, Wilt Fong said on HQ that um, while the news was only been reported that Steele was FaceTiming with Shamar in the last in recent days. Okay, well that that would certainly help. Um, I didn't get to watch all of what we did on HQ today, but I did get to watch quite a bit of it. Also, uh, it wouldn't shock me if. If Miami, if maybe they run little uh, little Jeff Levy Le- Le- Levy Tree Bryles type offense down there, why? Why? Just hearing some whispers of certain names, and it would seem to fit that family. I I, I haven't seen it reported yet. Uh, Art Bryles? No, God, no, 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 no. I no, I'm not 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 dropping. Bud Elliott just... says Art Bryles. Stay tuned inside the U. Okay. That's our, our Miami 24-7 sports site. They were the guys who were saying, hey, Mario stuff's legit. They never wavered. Other sites, subscription sites out there were saying, hey, like they're keeping many ideas. And, and our guys were like, that's not true. Uh, nothing's been decided at that yet. So these guys have been on top of all the stuff. Make sure you check out Inside the U uh, and find your favorite site on 247sports.com. Give us that, that thumbs up and, and, and the like and subscribe to this channel. Mario Cristobal um, said he thinks not having a full staff did not did not really affect the recruiting. Quote, those things, I get it. They're part of the process. I think more and more as time goes, families aren't going to tie themselves to a position coach that's a flimsy foundation. Not wrong, right? But I agree with him, sure. Yeah. I, I also think that's why I support the transfer portal and the freedom of movement because if the position coaches who are so important in the relationships and recruiting can go in anywhere, anytime, then I... I understand why players should have more movement than they had previously. It probably also, but on the other side, you probably would like to meet your position coach or at least talk to him. Yeah, you want to yeah, FaceTime with him before you don't go. Right. So yeah. <laughs> um, all right. So do do we think that because we're scheduled to be back um, Thursday uh, for a mailbag episode? Do you think that when we sit down to record that Jim Harbaugh will be the head coach of the Vikings? I hope so because if he's not, that means we're doing like an emergency pod at 10 p.m. Wait, you? Yeah, hope I got to drive at some point. <laughs> well, we've got a great video up on YouTube.com/slash/Cover Three discussing where Michigan goes next. But uh, I, it is it is very possible. I would say that you know, as we're sitting here live, my expectation is that Michigan has a head coaching search coming up. Right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Same. Um, there is one name that I heard today, uh, by the way, and. I know what I know. What position he coaches? Uh, he's on the Bucks staff. One name. He, he's, for, he's a Michigan guy, but Harold Goodwin for the head coaching job. Played played at Michigan. He's the assistant head coach and the run game coordinator for the Tampa Bay Bucks. I'll throw a name out there that Michigan should consider. I mean, we talked about Fickle. We talked about Matt Campbell. What about Mark Stoops? That would if you're going to go outside the family, you could do a hell of a lot worse than Mark Stoops. Yeah, like I, I've always felt. I don't. This is just all conjecture on my part, but I, I feel like Mark Stoops is only leaving Kentucky for the Iowa gig. But 
Michigan is Michigan, and considering how well Stoops has been recruiting in Ohio at Kentucky, if he's able to go to Michigan and bring that kind of thing to Ann Arbor, I think that they could keep that thing going in the right direction. Do you think that Michigan looked at Josh Gaddis the way that Notre Dame looked at Marcus Freeman, and that if presented with a similar situation where it might be earlier than you expected, you still end up going with maybe your five-year plan? Maybe. I mean, we're seeing younger head coaches all the time. The the fact that that you know a lot of different media have leaked out things like, hey, it could be Josh Gaddis, hey, it could be Mike Hart, suggests to me that maybe the consistent theme coming out of Michigan is like, hey, keeping this in the family is a real possibility. Yeah. There was a, um, I, I believe it was on uh, Michigan's 24-7 site, basically breaking down uh, on the Michigan Insider, sort of breaking down the, the argument for Josh Gaddis. You know, because you're right, it's the Michigan job, right? Shouldn't we take it to right. the open market and do open bidders and go to Luke Fickle? But I don't know. My expectation is that as Michigan men, they'll do everything by Robert's rule of order. Uh, you will have ISO move and second mentioned in some of these board meetings. And everything will be perfectly above board and according to the rules through and through. That's mm-hmm. what I expect from a Michigan head coaching coach. Uh, you can follow him on Twitter at Tom Fernelli. You can follow him at Bud Elliott 3 You can follow me at Chip underscore Patterson. Gentlemen, thank you very much. Thank you. MTV's official Challenge podcast is back for another season. And so are we. I'm Tori Deal. And I'm Anissa Ferreira. The wait is over, guys. All Stars 4 is finally here. And this season takes it to a whole new level. Old school legends, modern power players, and ex-lovers are all competing in Cape Town, South Africa for the prize of $300,000. And we're going to be right here along with you fans covering every episode on the podcast. Listen to MTV's official challenge podcast wherever you get your podcasts.